BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services. Here we discuss all things OCR and fitness related. Running, endurance, conditioning, rucking, and more. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody, Pretty Mike here. And on uh, this episode of BeastNet, I've got with me Mark James. Uh, Mark, let the listeners know a little bit about you and who you are. Hey Mike, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Mark James. Uh, I'm 53 years old, three kids, uh, happily married, live in Coronado, California. And the last uh, five years I've been doing uh, OCR races, primarily Tough Mudders, uh, triathlons in my earlier days, and now I do OCR. Kind of nice, nice. Abbreviated. Yeah, it's kind of a, an abbreviated version. We'll get more into all that. So I know you said you started with triathlons. That's one that, that's on my bucket list but I'm not a good swimmer <laughs> and that's where I keep having issues with it. I'm uh, it's my wife tells me all the time. She's like, you're a really strong swimmer for about 20 feet and uh, that's it. Well, yeah, most, most triathlons are just a little bit longer than that. And you know, you're not, yeah. you're not the only one. Most triathletes do not swim that well. I, uh, I, I did triathlons for 15 years and I was surprised even though I was a mediocre high school and college swimmer i was always one of the first guys out of the water just because i had a swimming background um yeah so it's something you just uh you need to, to learn especially if you want to do a triathlon because that's the first leg in a triathlon and i uh i coach people now that are are interested and i say hey find a master's swim program find a swim coach get into a pool get the technique down because so much of swimming is about staying comfortable in the water streamline and being efficient and uh, you rest them naturally. Nice. Yeah, my biggest problem is there's like a disconnect between my arms and my legs. Uh, I can either use my arms or my legs, and I try and put them together, and everything goes bad. <laughs> uh, so I am an experienced swimmer, and I still have kind of a two-beat rhythm in my mind where I'm just constantly saying one, two, one, two, and that correlates with my hands hitting the water. And when I swim freestyle, which you should do in, in a triathlon, 80% of my forward momentum is with my arms and my feet are just stabilized just to stay afloat. And I just do one, two, one, two, and I coordinate my hands, my feet, and my breathing. Most people screw up the breathing part. They try and exhale and inhale yeah. and turn their head to their side and their rhythm goes off. And so while I really encourage doing stroke drills before you do a swim set when I coach. That way you kind of get everything kind of coordinated. You break down the stroke and then kind of go from there. So there's hope, Mike. Sounds there's like hope. you pretty much just ex explained everything that I do wrong. So, because that is my problem. I have usually what will happen is, is I, I peter out because I, I can't breathe because it's just I can't. I've never been able to get the breathing down right. So, and like I said, I use it's all arms and pretty much my legs just drag dead, dead weight behind me. So, <laughs> and that's just how I've, you know, the only time I used my legs was diving when I had fins on. But then it was all legs yeah. and I never, I just used my arms as stabilizers to kind of, you know, push me around. So, yeah. Well, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. I, I know that unless I'm doing a flip turn or I'm going deep underwater, I am rarely if ever holding my breath when I'm swimming. I'm inhaling and exhaling. Yeah. My exhalation goes with my swim stroke, and everything is just is pretty fluid. Um, hmm. A few lessons. I'm going to have to work on that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. So so what what initially got you into the, the triathlons and stuff like that. I know you said you were a swimmer when you were younger, but what got you into just doing that? You've been an athlete pretty much most of your life or? Well, when I tell the story, it's always kind of funny because people 
see that I did quite well in the Tough Mudder. I won the Tough Mudder series by getting the most points, most miles last year. And they think, oh, wow, yes, this must be really coordinated. And as a kid, I wasn't very coordinated. I couldn't really dribble a ball or catch or throw or pass. I was always pick last on the sports teams I was on. But I could always swim since I was a very young age, like two years old. I was in the ocean or a river up in Northern California where I grew up. And so I could swim, mm-hmm. and then in high school swimming, I would swim, and then I'd run on a cross-country team because my mom wouldn't let me go out for football, and I'd ride my bike everywhere. And then in 1985, I did uh, my first triathlon, and I won a pair of shoes. And I thought, hey, this is really kind of cool. Yeah. I like this. And so I did a few more. Right before joining the Navy, I had done the Alcatraz triathlon. I placed 10th, and that was before uh, West nice. were allowed. Here's a skinny little 18-year-old kid jumping in the San Francisco oh. Bay without a, a wetsuit and and even when I went in the Navy I continued to do as many triathlons as I could. It's very difficult being in the Navy and being kind of operational and then trying to do a triathlon. It's, it's very hard to be competitive. Yeah. But I was so uh, invested in, in triathlon, interested in it, that I left the Navy, which is sometimes a, a big regret. And I tried to make it as a professional triathlete, which I tell you, it was it was uh, ten years of, of just kind of struggle to secure any kind of sponsorship and to to try and try and make it without going to the dark side of doing uh, performance enhancing drugs and if any of those things that some of the cyclists and some of the triathletes were doing. And uh, yeah. I learned after a while that the way I could make a living was actually coaching at first at the high school level and then the college level, and then my current job uh, I work as a baby seal instructor down in uh, San Diego here, it's largely, um, I, I largely got it because of my resume, not only as a Navy seal, but also because I used to do so many sporting events and I used to coach and mentor and yeah. do athletes. It's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I would think that that, you know, as an instructor, yeah, you would need all of that, you know, not just the Navy seal background, but everything else on top of it. So well, that's, with, with that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm 53 years old, and I'm the running lead when I take these uh, the students for a conditioning run between four and eight miles. I'm usually the guy out in front pacing them, leading them, and sometimes I do the time runs. I always do the time swims, ocean swims. We swim from three to five miles in the ocean, and I do the obstacle course, which we have, which really helps me out as far as training for obstacle course racing. I have my own obstacle course pretty much uh, in my backyard. Well, three miles from where I live. That's close enough. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's, yeah, that's gotta be fun to have access to the, to that obstacle course and, you know, to be able to train on it and everything else. So, and you know, really age is a number 53, you're 53, but you're keeping up with those recruits and they're trying to keep up with you. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. So, well, it's kind of funny. The, this recruits who don't know me or the students who don't know me, they see this, uh, this older guy show up and they think, Oh, this guy's leading our run. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then once I get two or three miles into it, I'm holding a seven minute pace in the sand wearing boots. They're just thinking, uh, oh, what are we in for here? A bit of a surprise. Yeah. Of course I can't keep up with, we get some like a, an Olympic caliber or collegiate runners. Those are few and far between. And those guys generally can't swim or the swimmers can't run. So I, I kind of yeah. hold down. I kind of toy with the idea of, uh, yeah, what if I went through training again? Incidentally, my 200 classes later is going through training right now. I was in class 141, and they're on 341, and I'm trying to do all the physical activities with them 
And uh, I went through as an 18-year-old, and now I'm 53 now. And I, I'm not obviously I'm not the same. I, I get up in the morning and everything hurts, and I kind of um, constantly complain to my wife about my knees and my back and my ankles. And so I'm not quite the same as I was back then. No, but you know, I mean, if you're you're able to keep up and force them to keep up with you, you know, and you know, people that are going through that kind of training, that's not just that's not just anybody. I mean, you don't get into that kind of training unless you've you you've been through some, you know, put your body through some conditioning. So, I mean, that's kind of a sure. yeah. And the students that come so through, those, they can all run, generally run and swim, and they're strong and they're they're very smart and they're like college mm-hmm. athletes. They're trying to make it to this program. And we start with maybe 200 and finish with 30 after a year of training and kind of a testament to the training has not gotten any easier over the last 30 years since I went through. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's impressive. I mean, to be one of those 30, though, has got to be, you know, that, that make it through has got to be some of the best feelings that you've ever had, you know, when you do that. So, yeah, that's a testament to people who can make it and make it through all that. Yeah, I still keep in touch with some of the guys I went through training with. Uh, graduated 1986 and we're close. Like, uh, I don't have a, a brother. I have a sister, but I thought like I had 29 other brothers that went through a similar experience and several guys, you know, years later that run into each other, it's usually their, their experience going through SEAL training. Granted, if they went through combat or did a deployment or uh, overseas, that's the same too. But usually the first thing you say to another SEAL is, Hey, what, what buds class were you in? And then the next comment was, well, mine was the, mine was the hardest training ever. You know, the coldest, the wettest, yeah. the most severe. And, of course, that's just the way we are. That's our temperament. You know, just kind of braggadocio. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, that is awesome. And thank you for your service, by the way. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the Tough Mudder. And, I mean, you kind of mentioned that, that, you you know, you you got the, you know, the Tough Mudder, what, the Holy Grail? I know you did a bunch with Tough Mudder last year, but yeah. what? Tell yeah. me a little bit about what all that means. What you actually, what you did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, nineteen. Oh, sorry, nineteen. Gosh, listen to me. Two thousand sixteen. I was doing some training uh, with some individuals trying to get into the SEAL program, and the guy who hired me told me, "Hey, you are going to go to Lake Tahoe and do a Tough Mudder with our eight guys." And I had no idea what a Tough Mudder was. Uh, well, somewhat of a clue. I knew it was some kind of thing where you got electrocuted and ran through mud and jumped through fire mm-hmm. and I went and I had a great time and we all stuck together all eight of us and it was basically a 10 mile course up on an old e lodge area so you had the altitude and you had these obstacles that came up every quarter mile and at the end they gave you an orange headband and there was a headband color system kind of reminding me of belts and in karate or kung fu, you know, you, you graduate yeah. to the next level, next level. And I guess I was a sucker for those belts and the experience itself because that year I did four more races and got my yellow headband. And then the next year my goal was to get 10. And then that same year I had heard about the 24 hour race. Well, it was about my 10th race where I started doing not just one loop one 10 mile loop, I do a second and then I work out my way to a third. So I start off first thing in the morning. And as soon as I finish one 10 mile race, I'd get back in line and go again. And then I'd get back in line and go again. And then they, they said, Hey, you can't go again after that. So that was great training for the 24 hour race, which is in uh, November. And that was in like, uh, that was in Las Vegas. So imagine a five mile yeah. loop 
with 26 obstacles on it, and you just do it repeatedly for 24 hours. So I did that race, and then the following year, uh, they came up with, Tough Mudder came up with uh, toughest races, which were eight-hour races. And I turned 50, and I thought, I'm going to do all the toughest races. So there were six of them, and myself and three other people that I found out uh, only after we had all done at least three together. Our quest was to be six, and we were the only people to do crazies to do all six races and then world. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, it was kind of a neat, neat experience, uh, eight-hour races. And then they, Tough Mudder came up with this idea that same year, hey, we're going to have this award called the Holy Grail. And basically, if you did a tougher race, that was the competitive race in the morning, a 10-miler, mm-hmm. the toughest, which was an eight-miler, or sorry, eight-hour race, and then the world, which is 24 hours, all those miles would go towards being uh, the world champion, well, the, the, top, the holy grail champion. But you could just achieve yeah. the award also just by completing one of each. So there was an award for the total points, and there was an award just for completing one of each. And they have a T-shirt, mm-hmm. little trophy thing. So I, my quest was to win the thing. And I went into Worlds with like a 40-mile lead over Ryan Atkins, who's one of the best obstacle course oh, yeah. in the world. And he went 110 miles that year. I ran 70, I went 85 with penalties because you fall off an obstacle in a tough mudder race. Unlike a Spartan, which they usually have you do burpees in tough mudders, you do more mileage. But 15 miles yeah. of penalties. And so I was second that year. And that was the first year they had tough world, the tough mudder, uh, holy grail. So I came back in 2018 thinking I was going to win it. And this year there were 12 hour races and there were six of them, and they're offering a $10,000 purse, whoever got the Holy Grail. So I'm like, wow, I, I can make up the eight grand that I spent the year before by doing these races and hopefully winning 10 grand. Well, two races in, Tough Mudder announced that they were going to transfer that money towards the other races, not the Holy Grail prize. And so when they did that, I, I couldn't do... I couldn't go to Germany. I couldn't go to Australia and I couldn't even go to Boston. They just didn't have the money. I just ran out of money. Yeah. I, I wasn't sponsored at all. I was just, my own money was going towards these things. I got three teenagers and my wife is a, a, a poet and she's, she's, she's working on, on, on writing and, and publishing some books, but that money hasn't come in yet. And so it was pretty frustrating, but I got to know uh, a English guy who was also going for the Holy Grail, and he wanted to win the 10000 regardless of whether they had the cash price. He still went for it. And his name is Charlie Bowen. Yeah. He was hoping to raise money for his charity at St. James Place. And we, you're, our, our, our last names are both James, I just, I just noticed. Yeah. Um, and St. James Place yeah. is a unique organization that uh, basically speaks on behalf of uh, suicide in men ages 25 to I think 45 in the UK. It's like one of the most common, uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the number one killer of men, which is just really surprising yes. and a tragic and awful. And so Charlie wanted to bring awareness to suicide uh, awareness. And I had several of my uh, people that I knew, one of my best friends in high school committed suicide. There's a couple of SEALs that I knew committed suicide. Veteran suicide is still extremely high. I, you know, the statistic yeah. is like 20 to 22 veterans a day, which is just, it's awful. So I think it's like, actually gone up. I think it's 20, uh, 22 yeah. to 24 now. Which is, yeah. it, it's 
it's it's it's a definite tragedy. You know, why is this happening? It is. It's a huge tragedy. Stigma. And I know I live in Coronado, and at least once every four, about once a month, we have uh, someone who takes it, their life off our bridge. There's a, a very high bridge, the Blue yeah. Coronado Bridge, and they just jump off the bridge, and it's 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 terrible. Yeah. So it is. I I'm anyway. big into that. I do uh I do speeches or classes for suicide awareness and construction up here. So. I do that in construction safety day. I talk about suicide awareness and construction and trying to help find ways to prevent it. I'm on multiple, you know, committees, you know, trying to find ways to help help it in construction and everywhere. So yeah, suicide is a very, very big thing to me that I've been working myself very hard to like try make go away. So yeah. Well, it's a it's a hard subject to grasp. It's a hard subject to talk about. You know, you have a buddy, you try and reach out, and if you see them, ultimately, if you see someone who's having a hard time, just trying to communicate with them, it seems to be the best bet. And say, there's no lighthearted way of of saying, hey, if you're having bad thoughts, you know, I'm here for you. Just you just got to come out and say it, and make make it a, a more of a uh, less of a stigma and more of a hey, you have a problem? Let me help you out. You know, we're we're all here to help yeah. each other out. I bet, sir. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah. So, I've got a friend anyway, right now who's I, been going through some rough times. So I've been sending him uh, every other day or so. I check in with him and just say, hey, how you doing? You still doing good? You know, and sometimes that's enough. Well, I've, I've had friends the same thing kind of get back to me after a couple of years of those kind of shout outs. And they came back and said, hey, thanks. You know, thanks. Even if it was sending a silly emoji or a meme or just a, leaving a phone call or just, you know, reaching out. And it, 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 it there's something that says I'm thinking about you. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's a, it can be yeah. a lonely world sometimes. And so anyway, I, I I got to know Charlie, and he he went on to win the Holy Grail, and so I came back in 2019 saying, my God, this is good. This is my year. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this thing. And so I what I did was I raced in the morning. I did a tougher race, 10 miles in the morning. And then I came back in the evening and did the 12 hour race, which is not easy to do. You know, you're kind of tired from the 10 no. hour race and or 10 mile race. But I thought by stacking my miles, I could even the, or match the winners of the tub. I can't run 50 miles anymore. Like Evan for Paris and some of these guys that were doing so well at the toughest races, I can't match the mileage, but I could, if I did the 10 mile in the morning and then the 12 hour at night. And so I did that five times. And then I went into Worlds with a huge lead. I knew my, my main competitor were, was about 60 miles behind me. And I knew I was going to have a great race to Worlds. And I did. I ran 75 miles. Everything just went like clockwork. It was uh, just the dream race where everything clicked. And I've had so many bad races. So, in fact, I crossed the finish line. I kind of joke with, with Kyle, the race director. And I said, hey, this might just be my swan song. You know, I go out, win the Holy Grail, get my... 75 miles and in tough mutters you get a, a silver jersey or a silver bib that you can wear at future races you know there's a, a brown bib for 50 and then the silver for 75 and i finally got that bib i won the age group which was pretty exciting because i know the top five guys in my age group 50 50 plus and they're all just i, mean, I really yeah. think highly of them and i've gone back and forth with my buddy, buddy whitney tilton he's a hedge fund guy in, in new york and he's very good at climbing and running and he has access to a lot of training and so it was it was a, a great a great day and then so fast forward i was promised a, a special jacket and i have this race bib and i have an all-access pass coming to me for tough mudder races this year and 
Tough Mudder mm-hmm. is in this uh, rough state. Do you like the BeastNet? Do you want to keep hearing it? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more at BeastNetPod. Maybe you, you've heard about there any kind of a, a, a yeah, I have. I think Joe from uh, Josena from uh, Spartan is, is trying to take over and and keep them as is. But I'm I'm hearing maybe August. Now I know there's the Tough Mudder in the UK is going to happen, and the toughest in June is going to happen. But I've lost a lot of my momentum. I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to you know one more year. I have free entry, which is a lot of money. Of course, most of the money goes to airfare and car rentals and staying in hotels, oh, yeah. whatever. But it's uh, it's been a bummer, and the Tough Mudder community has really been you know there's a big uh, on, on Facebook you know the the media of what's going to happen. Oh no! And and a lot of people are looking at Spartan, which is a great organization. It's it's different. It's a different kind of mindset. It's built. It's great organizations joe's done a great uh, great with it and it's worldwide and they're constant and a lot of the tough mutter champions are now doing spartans because why not if you're a professional you go where the money is to, su- to support your profession yeah. even though they're yeah. not making that much but it just made sense uh tough mutter took all the money away from their races last year and a lot of the big pros just they went elsewhere yeah. so this year yeah and i saw that so, so uh, yeah. I've always been a Spartan. I started with Spartan, and I didn't do my first Tough Mudder this year, and I'm really mad at myself that I waited so long. It was just kind of one of those, I, I don't like electric shock at all. So I'm like, I, I, that was the whole thing. I just wouldn't do it because of an electric shock. And finally, a good friend of mine, Charity Fick, who was a Tough Mudder ambassador, she's like, you're doing this. I'm like, fine, I'll do it because there's one right here by my house every year. And I'm like, okay, I'll go do it. And I went and did it, and the electric shock wasn't that bad. Like I don't know why I waited so long to do this, and I loved it. Was that but Sacramento? That, or which one was it? Which race was that? No, I'm up in I'm up in Seattle, so it was the the Seattle race. Oh, yeah, I'm black okay, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite courses, the Seattle course. I, yeah, I lived in yeah, Seattle so, for a couple of years, so yeah. Well, I'm the same. Yeah, way. I live out in Puyallup. So when I did my second Tough Mudder, I literally passed. I mean, I I hit the way I hit the socks in my head twice, and I went down, and I was like. I was like convulsing in the mud, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you have to pull me out of this thing. And I crawled out going, oh, that was not good. What the heck happened? And then you know, yeah. 50 races later, I take my 18-year-old daughter and I told her right before electroshock therapy, hey, you don't have to go through this, honey. She goes, I want to. And she went through there and hit a couple times. And she said, yeah, it's fine, Dad. I'm like, how do some people, they can do it. And some people it just affects people differently. You know, and I, I said, it hey, in the world, I opted for, they had these little carabiners. It was kind of like a uh, survivor theme, hidden immunity idol. They had these little carabiners hidden all over the course. And if you found one, you could take uh, a shortcut on the course after like midnight. And so I was looking everywhere for these damn carabiners. Well, they had them tied off to the electric strands at EST. And then also the oh. uh, electric shock. Uh, there's an there's a obstacle called uh, operation where you stick a pole through a hole and you unhook like a carabiner and if you get a carabiner well you can use that for a shortcut and i took so many shocks and i've had problems with my heart in the past my wife's always don't don't do don't do the shock obstacles you're gonna kill yourself and yeah i'm still alive but i hear you yeah you wanted that carabiner (laughs) yeah it was one of those things and what was so funny is when i finally did it 
And I mean, the thing was, I grew up on a farm, basically. And I mean, not my family didn't have a farm, but my, my uncle did a few miles away. And I've been shocked. I've grabbed electric fences. I've done all that. But I, for some reason, I just didn't want to do it. But then once we got there, I was the first one in our group to go through. And then I went through and everyone kept telling me you can go around. I'm like, well, the fact that it scares me means I need to do it. So, and that's just the way my brain, my brain works. So I was the first to go through. And then one of my our teammates won it. I walked back and walked halfway through and stopped and turned around. And I was talking to him, like saying, come on. And my buddy actually has a video. And in the video, you can see me keep twitching because one of the wires kept hitting my arm. <laughs> But I'm standing there, like, talking to my friend, like, come on, let's go. But you could see me, like, I kept twitching because one of them kept hitting my arm and making me twitch. And they're like, yeah, my buddy, he's just kind of like, you didn't want to do it. Yeah, he's like, you didn't want to do it at all. And then you went back and then stood in the middle talking to somebody else. And I'm like, I just completely forgot. Yeah, well, that's the uh, the art of distraction right there. You're distracted. You know, some people don't like shock therapy. Some people feel the same way about heights or um, they had the ice bath, uh, Arctic enema. And I know people who no, I hate, hate that. going through ice. Whereas when I go through, I play a game of uh, rock, paper, scissors. I'm like, okay, you, 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 first guy, if you're in, rock, in Arctic enema, you just do a game of rock, paper, scissors. And if you lose, you stay in. And if you win, you get out. And I've lost like 27 games of rock, paper, scissors in a row. So I just stay in, not during the competitive waves, usually the, the other yeah. top of my racing, but... I can do ice water. I don't like electric shock. I can jump off cliffs. They had like a 40-foot cliff they'd uh, had at Worlds. I do that stuff. But everyone has, you know, just life. Everyone has a strength. We all have strengths and weaknesses. You know, it's back to oh, yeah. our segue here to triathlons. You know, there's some great runners in a triathlon, but they can't put the swim together, and they get flustered and use too much energy, and then, you know, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what I loved about, about Tough Mudder and why I was so mad it took me so long to do it because we did it all as a, as a group. And there's so many obstacles where there was like, you needed that group and you needed those strengths of everybody else. And that's what I loved about it was just the whole atmosphere of, you know, because I'm not a competitive guy. I've never really been that competitive or anything. And Spartan, I do the open heats and I would rather... For me, I'm one of those people I would rather help somebody else through than, you know, be the fastest one out there because I know I'm just, that's my personality. I like to be the helper guy and help other people get through. So, but yeah, it's, I you know, after doing triathlons for so long, it was so refreshing to do a race where, yeah, you're in that mud mile mud pit and you have to have someone reach down and pull you out, and then you turn around, and you reciprocate, or you help them up a wall. Yep. And there's something kind of humanistic about how wonderful that is, where you're in the situation where you're helping people, and that's probably why I got oh. hooked on tough mutters over doing triathlons. Yeah, it's kind of like block nets. I mean, block nets. How I, I've seen people do it by themselves, but it's like how you know? I mean, you've <laughs> got to get that thing rolling, really and it really quick. takes a team. It takes a team to really get that thing rolling, and that that was. We were in Block Nest. We probably spent 25 minutes in there because the group, there wasn't really a group behind us. So we were helping every the like ones or twosies that were behind us get up and over that. So, I mean, it's, and I loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm really mad at myself. I've waited so long to do that one. So, and now it's, you know, who knows what the future of Tough Mudder, well, Tough Mudder is. Yeah, so. unless you want to go to England, there's the first races in April, but uh, I, I hope they come back. It was such a popular venue. And I think, uh, Joe with, with Spartan will do something to make it happen because it was popular. It just had a bit of a snafu in the last two years, you know, and then yeah, I'm hoping Spartan so. is Spartan's more 
from what I understand, he's more competitive. In fact, the first time I ran into uh, Ryan Atkins' wife, uh, 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 Lindsay Webster, who were at the, the yep. race in Colorado, and I was running with her and her friend, and we came to a high wall, and I, I offered them my hand, and she, she's, she's like, yeah, I go, hey, this, I go, what do you think this is, a Spartan? And I had no idea who she was. She didn't think you could you could get help on the on the walls or whatever. I mean, yeah, this, is, this is all about yeah, stuff. Yeah. You can help each other on this. She's like, oh, and then she went and kicked my butt with her friend after the after that. But um, <laughs> different, oh, different yeah. mentalities, you know. It is, yeah. and it really is. And I mean, I've like I said, I've done Spartan for a long time, and I'm I just know I'm not that competitive guy. I'm the one that I would rather do the open heats and help people get through. And I think that's why I feel like once I did the Tough Mudder, I'm like, I should have been doing this the whole time. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of like, well, I like Spartan, I, I mean, but I, the Tough Mudder was more my deal. So, well, yeah. I, I have a confession. I've, I have never done a Spartan. So maybe I'll do my first Spartan this year and say, wow, I should have been doing Spartans as well as Tough Mudders because I, yeah. I don't mind the cold and the mud and I don't want really, to think I, I I do not like burpees. I've done so many push-ups in the Navy that I'm like, oh my gosh, I do not want to do burpees. I don't want to carry buckets. Oh, yeah. you know, I probably do the spirit throw, okay? And I'm not good at the upper body stuff. Uh, I was terrible at pull-ups. And, uh, ironically, I do tough mutters and I, I'm terrible at pull-ups. I'm good at running and I'm good at swimming, which is ironic. There's no real swimming in tough mutters. There's a few, you know, 20-yard sections at, at Worlds, but yeah, that's it. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, cool. it's, it's their own. That's one thing. We've been, I've been doing a bunch of local ones up here, and that's kind of my plan this year's local ones. I mean, I was trying to think if I – I don't think I'm going to California for any Spartans this year. I went to Los Olivos last year. So in December, I was in Los Olivos for the Spartan race. But, oh. you know, me and my wife have been talking about going to California. Or my, my grandmother lives in uh, Lakewood, California, and we've been talking about going down and visiting her. So we I definitely need to get down there. So. Yeah. Well, I, I know the I know the drive really well. I used to live in Sonoma County, and I I lived I I went to high school up in Seattle. So I we took the uh, the 101 as far as we could, and, and take the five and see all the redwood trees in Northern California. To and then going through, of course, uh, Oregon and and uh, Washington. Yep. It's a beautiful drive. Oh, it is. Because when we went to Los Olivos, we drove down, but we didn't give ourselves enough time. So it was like we took two days to get down there, and then took one day to get back. So we just hustled back because I had to get back for work. But, uh, but yeah, I want to do it again and get, take more time. So, you know, I love California. I've been down there a few times and it's, you know, with to go see family and stuff like that. My whole family is from California. The only two that aren't from California is me and my, my one brother, Mark, who, which we were talking about before this, it's I, my brother's name's Mark James. We're both cool from name. here. Yeah, wow. we're both from here. But all my other brothers and sisters were all born in uh, Saugus, California. So is where my home, my family's from, but they moved up here right before we were born. So, all right. And now we're going to take a quick pause so we can hear from our sponsors. Like what you hear, make sure and subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're using YouTube, please click the little red subscribe icon. Then click the little bell for notifications of future episodes. And if you could give us a thumbs up, and we're back. Well, at Washington State, I, I miss I miss the greenery and the trees. I don't miss the rain so much, but I have the fond memories of uh, with the Emerald Emerald State, I think they call it, or and flying into Seattle. Uh, you were where oh, were yeah. you in Washington? Puyallup. I live in Puyallup. 
Puyallup, which is down just outside of Tacoma. No, it's yeah, it's so. a gorgeous state, but it's you know it, it's really green because it's but it's green because it rains so much. <laughs> yeah, great great autumns though. Remember the Indian summers up there yeah. in September and October. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. Um, I, I'm toying with the idea of trying to get back into triathlon. Uh, I'm still swimming and running somewhat. I coach triathletes, and I keep on writing these workouts for triathlon. I'm like, God, I should be doing these these workouts that I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sending people. I'm kind of living by charity through them. Uh, there's also a race series called the Otillos, which are basically swim, run, swim, run, swim, run, swims. You swim to like an island. You run across the island, and you swim to another island. Uh, the first one is actually on Catalina this year of the of the series is at the end of this month, which I'm I'm not in shape for, so I won't do. But I'd like to do something where I can utilize my swimming and something yeah. I still feel competitive at. And just I think it's important, you know, for for people listening to this this uh, podcast, it, it's it's important that they they sign up for something, and it can be something that they just try once and don't like, or something they they do like and they get hooked on, whether it's a, a 5K or a trail run or a 10K or a swim race or even uh, joining a little league uh, or something where they just get out there and, and meet people, you know, healthy lifestyles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Healthy, uh, and I, I mean, that is. So the, the people that I've known my whole life are just people that I've met on, whether it's high school uh, sports teams, swim teams, or in college, or I used to play an underwater hockey league. And there's some great guys on there. We push a little puck on the bottom of a pool and just, just meeting, you know, a couple of days a week, just seem to uh, take a lot of the stress from, from work, family, life, whatever away and help me kind of settle into a good group where I can just function. Now that sounds like fun. Underwater hockey. Do you put on yeah, scuba so gear and I, go underwater and play or? Well, no, that, no, you're holding your breath. You have a mask and snorkel. Oh. You have a padded glove and then you have a stick about 12 and a half inch, uh, curved stick and you push a puck on the bottom of the pool and one team against the other one team has white sticks other team has black sticks and you your goal is to get this little puck just like an ice hockey into this four foot trough on either end of the pool you play sideways about nine feet of water yeah there's a world yeah. championships and everything i was playing down here in san diego and then our pool closed and i just never got back into it but great great sport yeah that sounds like fun because I'm just imagining the workout. I mean, swimming's a great. I mean, swimming's a great workout. But I mean, when you're also trying to do the puck and the the hand-eye coordination, I'm just thinking that that would be an amazing workout. It, it really is. You have to Google it. Uh, underwater hockey. There's a, a world championships and everything. So basically, you're pushing this puck and then you flick it to another guy and then you go up to the surface and you grab some air and then you come back down because. You know, if you're all pushing that puck, you're all underwater at the same time, then there are periods during the games where the puck is just sitting on the bottom of the pool and you're kind of talking with a snorkel in your mouth. You're like, you go get it. No, you go get it. No, you go get it. You're like, everyone's so tired. They can't get back down there, especially if you're playing in a deep pool. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's a good sport. That does sound like fun. See, my thing with swimming, too, is that I sink like a rock. So I'd be good at that. If I'm in the water, I'm usually on the bottom of the pool. So <laughs> yeah, if I don't move... That's, that's- <laughs> that's if, a good dude, but you still got to come up and breathe. Yeah, that's right. If I'm not moving, like when I, I when I took scuba diving when I was, you know, long time ago. But when I got certified to scuba dive, I had to, you had to tread water for 10 minutes. Well, the only way I could tread water was to swim laps. Because uh, yeah, if I tried just treading water, I was yeah, usually about two things. feet under if I just treaded. So yeah. I had to swim laps to actually stay above water. But yeah, so... 
we have a, a I just wish I could find it. That's where they oh. have to tread water. The students have to tread water for, for five minutes. And they have a 14-pound weight belt. And they have twin tanks on their back. And they have fins that have to keep their hands out of the water. And they have to pass this tread or they don't not advance. So, yeah, if you're a heavier oh. guy, you know, bone density or whatever, you, you have a disadvantage. So you got to overcome it. Yeah. So, yeah, and that was when I took the, the scuba diving class. I had to swim laps. But the one thing that I do miss that I wish I could find those is when I was taking the class, my buddy's dad, the fins that he let us use, they weren't the nice plastic fins they have now. They were the solid rubber, like two by sixes that you strapped to your feet. And you could oh. almost, you could get some speed with those. But your legs, you had to have strong legs to keep those going and some endurance because those things were just beast. I loved those fins. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. have probably 12 different pairs of fins. You have uh, a, you know, small Churchill fins for boogie boarding. I have free diving fins. I have a mono fin. I have fins for surface swimming, uh, fins for scuba diving. I just experiment with fins a lot because a lot of the swimming I do oh, yeah. when I train is with fins. I don't do that much swimming with the, with the guys I train without. And each swim has its own kind yeah. of dynamic. But, yeah, you're, you're right. You're, you Very true. Like, push those. Well, see, that's the thing that was fun with me and my buddy. And I mean, it was just funny because I say I can't swim very well, but if you put fins on me and a snorkel mask, I can be out in the water for three hours and I'm totally fine. But we used to uh, go crabbing up here and our way of crabbing was to put on a, you know, wetsuit, mask, snorkel, and we'd lay on the top of the water and just watch. And when you see a, a crab, you just dive straight down and grab it. So, and we, yeah, go crabbing all the time. It was like the funnest way to do it. Oh, it sounds like I used to do uh, diving for abalone in Northern California. Same thing. You can't use scuba, mm-hmm. but you just kind of like hopefully have good visibility and you'd, you'd swim down 20, 30 feet and you'd pry this abalone, this shellfish off of the rock and bring it up. And it was like a delicacy as part of my childhood growing up. I used to get these things and uh, it was, it was yeah, fantastic. Unfortunately, they've had a, a moratorium on abalone diving now because of the shortage that are bad red tide and then they're being overfished and it's kind of yeah. sad i remember that yeah that was one of my my funnest memories with my friend yeah we would definitely we'd go diving for for crab and i mean i'd love to do it again but i don't have a wetsuit or any of that stuff anymore so i'd have to get all that stuff again i did it once without a wetsuit and after about 30 minutes i told my buddy i'm like we need to go back in he's like why i'm like i'm not cold anymore yeah, exactly. The first thing <laughs> hypothermia is not when it's when you stop yeah. shivering is when you worry, not when you shiver. You know, um, yeah, and I that's right. I've been talking to triathletes that are like, oh God, I'd love to do a triathlon, but things are so expensive. And I tell them, hey, there are different uh, sites like uh, Craigslist, and we have a, a, a site mm-hmm. called Offer Up down here. And people, you know, they either outgrow their stuff or they try a sport like triathlon. They buy a brand new bike for three thousand dollars. And then a year later, they don't, they're not interested, and they put that, you know, whether it's wetsuit stuff or bikes or, you know, sports gear online and use. In fact, I, I'm guilty of, I go on, on eBay, and I look for my favorite running shoe is the Asics Kayanos, which cost like 135 I'll get a slightly used pair of, of Kayano running shoes for maybe 45 bucks, And it might sound kind of gross, but, you know, if you're on a budget, bikes, mm-hmm. Bike products, wetsuits, you know, fins, masks, whatever. That's almost the way to go. Yeah, yeah that is. Fact, that is. It's to find ways to do that. Because I, I know when I was younger, that's what my mom did. My mom got me a wetsuit on, you know, it was at a garage sale. 
But it worked great for about two years until all of a sudden my chest got bigger. And then I went out diving and all of a sudden I split it right down the middle. Because <laughs> my chest was too big. You should have put it back on eBay and, and sold it and then got another one. <laughs> yeah. That's the oh, yeah. That's how it is. Yeah. In fact, I, I used to be on such a budget in my early triathlon days, I would make a deal with the race director up in, uh, I used to do the, the Vineman Triathlon. I say, hey, I don't have 225 bucks for entry, but how about I pick up water bottles that are kind of on the, on the road, like a 112 mile bike ride and people would throw the bottles everywhere and the county didn't like that. And so that, that's the deal making I would make. And one of the beauties of doing Tough Mudders was if you're an ambassador, you basically just, you get your entries for free or else you could volunteer by maybe doing four to six hour shifts. And then your entry would be maybe half to two thirds off. And so a lot of people I know yeah. did the volunteer thing. And that was kind of a neat program too, because not everyone has a hundred bucks or 150 bucks to do, to do a race. And one of the best ways to meet people, especially at the finish line or to the obstacles is just being out there and, and volunteering. So that was a neat program. Oh, it is. Yeah, I know. Uh, Spartan has similar. I mean, I've, I've done over 30 Spartan races and I've only paid for three. So wow. all of them yeah. have been volunteering volunteering hours I'm, I'm part of the spartan street team so i get you know street team hours i do stuff for you know the spartan street team so i get extra hours that way and yeah so most of mine have been i've gotten free races i used to do a lot more and where i get so many races i just hand some out to people i'd be like yeah i'm never going to be able to use all these here have some <laughs> you know and that's yeah. how i get my friends to go because your friends would be like well i want to do that but it's expensive here's a free race what's your next excuse <laughs> yes you know? yeah, exactly now they have to do it yeah, no, yeah. That, that's great. It's a win-win, I think, for the organization and for someone maybe the first time or someone on a budget. You know, it's ideal. Yeah, yeah and you know, you know, you're the same. You know, I, you know, I've only got one teenager at the moment. All the other ones are are past that, so I know how it feels to have the you know multiple teenagers at home and having to make sure they have everything they need and you know everybody else has. So I mean, trying to do races and with that is kind of especially when one of my teenagers started doing the races with me and all that stuff. So uh, yeah. volunteering. Yeah. It yeah. saved me. So. so last year, yeah, I have three teenagers and they all did the toughest or tougher with me. And I have my wife do the five K with me. And fortunately I had some volunteer coupons and, and I, I, I still shelled a couple hundred bucks out of pocket, but uh, yeah, you know, what it comes down to a lot of times is prioritizing. And my priority is like, I tell people it's, it's family first. And then unfortunately I have to work. And then the sport, I've always done sport my whole life, and that's kind of tertiary to the, the family thing. Because if I have extra money, it has to go towards food or rent or car or, or whatever. And, you know, I have to go to work every day. So some people say, well, I cannot have time to train. And so what I'll do, I'll try and run to work or run at lunch. And fortunately, my job entails that I actually run kind of at work. So I try and get the miles yeah. that way, whereas... When I was a professional triathlete, I literally took two years off out of the Navy. I had money saved. I lived at my grandparents' house in a little cabin, and I would just eat, swim, eat, run, eat, bike, sleep, and I had, like, no social life, and that's all I did for, for two years and race and tried to yeah. make it, tried to, tried to make it as a pro, and it was really frustrating. I was just doing mega miles. We're talking 300 on the bike, 75 running, and 25 swimming, I was also painting houses to, to help pay for rent too. And then I was going to grad school and I was just doing all these things. It was almost too much. And I'm writing uh, workout programs for 
for inspiring uh, up-and-coming triathletes. And I'm like, here, here's, here's like three different workouts. And here's like the one if you're just a recreational triathlete. Here's one if you want to like win races. And here's one kind of in between. And you yeah. just got to balance. You got to find balance in everything, especially with training. Because if you're doing too much, you're going to burn out. And then it becomes a job. And then you hate it. And if you don't acknowledge your family, then you're going to have problems also if you're significant other sees you just training all the time or well, what's kind of in it for them. And then I always felt kind of lonely when I finished these races and I'd see family meeting their loved ones at the finish line. And I thought, wow, that's something I want to have sometime. And that's kind of what I do. You know, my family comes out and sees me race and it's, it's, it's neat now. now. Yeah, and I agree. It's one of those balances, a very hard thing to come up with. So I know I, I have that. I have a, a really bad habit of I like to keep myself busy. So I always have like way too many projects going on at once and all that kind of stuff. And finding that balance is, is always tough. That's a tough one. I I've, I have problems with the, the balance. Yeah, I find uh, making a simple checklist. You know, I have a little book and I just kind of prioritize, write all things that have to be done. And then it's got a number reference system and realize that I can't get everything done. And I got to enlist my kids help sometime because sometimes like pulling, getting them off the iPad or off a video game, even though they, they work out, it's like, come on, help, help me out. And my, my wife does a lot of stuff with regards to getting the kids to school and helping them with their homework. And it's just kind of, uh, well, back to the, the word balance of making things work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Balance is a tough one. So. And like I said, that's always one I, I struggle with. I have two radio shows and two podcasts, and I'm also a safety professional in construction. So I've got a lot of a lot going on all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we're, we're almost at the hour mark, which is about where we like to keep it. So is there anything you want to tell the listeners in, in closing? I mean, this, is, this has been a great chat. I would love to, to chat with you more another time. So, but yeah. No, I, I hope uh, we've uh, you and I have inspired some people. I, I know January is kind of a weird month where people set New Year's resolutions. They go out there and they hit the gym. They start a run program only by February to just kind of like discontinue because they're not seeing results or, or, or they're frustrated with the performance. And winter is always kind of a, a period when I kind of hibernate. I kind of take it easy. I stretch, try not to eat mm-hmm. too much. And then in the spring, I kind of come out of my cave and start slowly building the mileage and by summer I'm, I'm fully into it. And then I kind of hibernate again. So, you know, we all go through periods of roller coaster of emotions of life with training, the highs and the lows and the average person, believe it or not, even the professional runners, the first mile is so like uncomfortable and painful that they don't want to run or not the professionals, but the average person, if you get past that yeah. first mile, and then start tapping into those endorphins and you get that a good natural high. And that's when you get in that zone and where running can be a fun thing, but it, t- it takes a while. You got to make it a habit, just like running or swimming. And I really advocate doing something that makes you uncomfortable every day, whether it's a cold shower, getting up early, eating Brussels sprouts, doing something where you go, oh, I, don't, I don't really want to do this, but do it anyway. And then just, and also doing something be nice <laughs> yeah. In a nutshell, yeah be nice to people you know we have a lot of a lot of people that are really angry these days and they're whether it's politics or religion or their thoughts or work or whatever it's just i mean, be nice oh yeah i agree be nice 
Be nice. It's like it's like Bill and Ted said, be excellent to each other. So oh, man. Was, I, I heard they're gonna make a re, I heard they're gonna make a, re, a remake of that. Or not a remake, a kind of continuation like Yeah, Keanu Reeves and they they've been talking about that actually that that and yeah, there's a couple of them that Keanu Reeves is doing, but yeah, Keanu Reeves they're supposed to have a new one coming out and it sounds like they've got everyone back on board. That was on the first yeah. one, so the I first think two. The Super Bowl, so that should be interesting. Super Bowl, they had they had not Keanu Reeves. Everyone doesn't know the other guy's name. They did the Super Bowl ad had the other guy like meeting his his past self or something. So be, I think uh, Carlin isn't around anymore. But uh, yeah, it, it, it'd be fun if he did that. Especially Keanu Reeves is kind of you know the John Wick series and coming back with the Matrix. Yep. And, yeah, he's a, he's a favorite for sure. Oh yeah, no, it should be good. It should be good if they do it. I always love the, I love Bill and Ted. I mean, that was my time. Like they came out when I was pretty much in high school and stuff like that. And <laughs> it was, you know, it's. I like Bill and Ted, so I'm hoping they come back. So I'll tell you my. All right, I well, that, I, was, I was on my second deployment, and I went with my 16 man platoon. We saw it. We liked it so much. We went and saw it again right after. That's that's history on that movie for us. Oh yeah, it's an awesome movie. So, all right. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking to me. Like I said, um, um, I would love to hook up with you again sometime, and hopefully, I'll see you at a race out there. So, yeah, we'll we'll do a Spartan, and then we'll go do a Tough Mudder. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, Mike. Yep. Thank you, man. All right. Bye. Take it easy. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Beast Nat podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook, like and share the podcast, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. All these things will help to expand the show in the future. This show is brought to you by James Safety Services. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram 